This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air. What a time I had singing gospel songs with the angels. You're listening to Te Ngātahi o Te Tau, Te Putanga o Te Hinu, taking stock of time and savouring it. I'm your host, Pirabifanga. This time round, it's a look at Kiwis celebrating our own Matariki by gathering to sing as a community. I was brought up in a singing whānau, Irish mum and Māori dad. It's second nature to me to sing and dance as a cultural expression. Black gospel music is also a hybrid of colonisation. Missionary messages sifted through indigenous tikanga of song and dance. I took the opportunity recently to check out this brand of community singing, this Waiata Ahapore. It was a gospel music workshop of around 70 people in Hawke's Bay, run by Tony Backhouse. He's a long-time Kiwi musician and singer, and he specialises in a cappella. It's unaccompanied singing. Tony has spent quite a lot of time learning his craft from black communities in the States. So, at the three-day weekend workshop, we separated ourselves into basses, tenors, altos and sopranos and I plonked my recorder on the piano and away we went. Here's a sample of five of the songs Tony Backhouse taught us from scratch. Alleluia, Roll Jordan Roll, My God Can Use You, Don't You Want to Go and this one, Moan Right On That Shore. You might like to use this as a teaching guide to sing along. Kia ora. So this one starts with the tennis. Feel special. <laughs> what I want to Than the other people, so we'll spend. So, learn a tenor part, you might decide you want to join them. <coughs> I want to moan right on that shore. Right, I want to moan right on that shore. Little thing that I think would be nice. Um,
Oh! 
Sevilla, Southern Sopranos. Strong, conflicted men. You're going to get a hot part of the
Gospel Quartet in the 1920s. The Norfolk Jubilee Quartet, as they were called on Sunday mornings. On Saturday nights, they were called the Norfolk Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> and they were doing, you know, whatever it is, saw me wear the various blues of a risque nature. Let's come back to Roald Jordan. So, let's all sing the tune of Sopranos.
until the alternate, alternate chorus. So just on um, out of the out of the uh, sitting in the kingdom to hear Jordan roll, roll Jordan, roll Jordan, roll. And then you come back to I want to go to heaven when I die to hear Jordan roll, roll Jordan, roll Jordan, roll. I want to go to heaven when I die to hear. I think it's worth doing, actually, that's nice. Just hearing the tenors and basses, but the altos have got that thing as well. So we're going to go from the top. Regular couple of choruses, then we'll do a verse, and then we'll do a couple of the alternate chorus, and then it will be all good. listening to Black Gospel Guru Tony Backhouse at a Hawke's Bay weekend workshop, including yours truly, Piripi Whanga. That's me, a bass, closest to the mic. 
we're continuing the spiritual tradition born out of the American South slavery. This next song is a coded message riding the train north to freedom. So, um, but the words for this comes from a wonderful group from the 60s called the Meditation Singers. Come on, come on, come on, don't you want to go? Come on, come on, come on, don't you want to go? Come on, come on, come on, don't you want to go? The punchline. Yes, I want to go. That's not very easy to sing. No. Let's have the bass. Let's have one round from the bass. Who you know, prepared this earlier? And then we'll see what else. Who thinks they know the song? Some of you must. Okay. So, come on. Come on. Relax right away. Okay. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Don't you want to go? Boom, boom, boom. Come on. Come on. Come on. Don't you want to go? Boom, boom, boom. Come on. Come on. Come on. Don't you want to go? Oh, yes, I want to go. Beautiful. Okay, so the alto section, you have the tune. Come on, come on, come on, children, don't you want to go? There's your first one, pretty good. Which one is it? There's a little rhythmic lead. Let me sing it to you again. So, three, and. Come on, come on, come on, children, don't you want to go? Come on, come on, come on, children, don't you want to go? Come on, come on, come on, children, don't you want to go? Then the second line is exactly the same. Come on, come on, come on, children, don't you want to go? Oh. Mm-hmm. 
train is at the station. The train is at the station. Don't you wanna go? Boom, boom, boom. The train is at the station. Don't you wanna go? Boom, boom, boom. The train is at the station. Don't you wanna go? Oh, yes, I want to go. Got my ticket ready. Don't you wanna go? Boom, boom, boom. Got my ticket ready. Don't you wanna go? Boom, boom, boom. Got my ticket ready. Don't you wanna go? Oh yes, I want to go. One of those bases you just heard was me, Pirapi Fanga. This is Te Ngātahi o Te Tau, Te Putanga o Te Hinu. It's a perspective on life in Aotearoa, which recently included the black gospel tradition sifted through the musical experience of former Hawke's Bay resident Tony Backhouse. He's an internationally acknowledged arranger of a cappella singing, and in this program features enthusiastic amateur Kiwi singers at a recent workshop in Napier. The passion is not a surprise as Backhouse founded the Napier Gospel Choir when he lived here and I've been a beneficiary as a current member. And here's the plug. We meet every Tuesday at the Napier Baptist Hall from 7 to 9pm. Acapella gospel can be meditative, as you've just heard, but it can also be minimal. We end this gospel workshop with just one word. Alleluia. Alleluia.
Digging up two.
Let's have a sopranos. That'll make sense.
That gospel song of praise is perhaps fitting to serve as an introduction to the segment of Tingatahi o Te Tau, Te Putanga o Te Hinu. I'm Peter Pifanga, and this metaphor of taking stock of time to drink deeply from the insights gained is the gospel of Pākehā writer Keith Newman. He says the good news is that the Treaty of Waitangi goes hand in hand with the Bible as founding documents of colonial New Zealand. I think we need to start there by considering 28 years of relationships between the missionaries and Māori before anybody even considered a treaty. Um, the, the arrival of, of Samuel Marsden came after relationships had been established with dozens of Māori living in New South Wales um, under his patronage and he was sending back um, trees and, and sheep and uh, plants and, and educating them and helping them to recover from being mistreated as ship's crew and you know, a real relationship established there. So really the missionaries were invited by Māori, first Te Pahi and then Ruatara and um, I don't think Māori would have signed the treaty if, it, if they hadn't trusted the missionaries. And something I've been thinking about lately is that actually Samuel Marsden, before he did that Christmas Day sermon um, in 1814, um, before he did that he had to sort out some unfinished business because Te Pahi had invited him first off from the far north and Te Pahi had an island par in the Bay of Islands and he'd gone to, to New South Wales and he sent his sons over and he'd actually stayed with the, um, the governor, lived in his house and the governor uh, produced a medal commemorating this relationship between the first official relationship between Māori and, and, and um, Australia and sent him back with a prefabricated house and he invited Marsden to come and teach the children. It's a bit chaotic in Kōrūrārika, which was being called the hellhole of the Pacific, but there was a misunderstanding over the Boyd, the ship, the Boyd. And Tupahi got blamed for something that he had nothing to do with. That was actually somebody called Tupuhi. Um, the, crew, the crew had revolted uh, because of their bad treatment um, and when, when they docked at Whangaparoa, um, a number of people got killed, the ship got burned and Te Pahi got blamed. And those who didn't like Marsden back in, back in New South Wales said, you know, look, there's this relationship that you have with this guy, this guy that you trusted, look what he's done. So that ended all trading with, um, with Māori for a long time and nobody came in. And when Marsden came out, the first thing he did was, he didn't believe this, so he went to, um, to um, Whangaroa and he, he met with the people that were involved and he needed to find out what had really happened. Was his friend Te Pahi involved? Because the drunken whalers had, had attacked Te Pahi's village and killed a whole lot of people and he lost his life as well. So there was this kind of unfinished business. So he stayed the night which was a really dangerous thing to do, but he talked to them, he got to the bottom of it, found out it wasn't Te Pahi at all, then he brokered a peace arrangement with people who were about to go to war. So before Marsden preached on Christmas Day, he actually was involved in a peacemaking um, arrangement by restoring relationships between people who were at each other's throat. And I think that's a, a, a good way to, 
to, to preface that whole thing. So then you've got 28 years of relationships where um, Māori are given for the first time a written version of their language. And there's something that happens there. It's almost as if they've been waiting for a revelation, uh, perhaps of Jesus Christ. They're spiritual people anyway, very cautious, listening. Nothing happens for 10 years. These missionaries are ready to pack up and go home. And then somebody gets it. And then somebody else gets it. And you've got a viral movement of the word of the gospel starting to move around the country through the agency of Māori. Because it's too dangerous for the Pākehā missionaries to be leaving the far north because they're in the midst of the musket wars. And um, so this, this, and they've translated the language and you've got um, the second wave of missionaries made it a lot easier because Henry Williams comes in. Those first guys weren't really prepared. They were told, well, what you need to do is just is, is, is create your little space there with your white picket fence and sing hymns and make it sound like everything's sweet. And then people will come and ask you questions. But no, they'd come in and pinch all the stuff out of their garden. And they just weren't equipped. And they were arguing amongst themselves. And it took Henry Williams to come out and say, Tai oh, hang on a minute, guys. We need to get serious here. So they've got partial translation of the Bible. Um, William Williams comes out and finishes that. But Henry wins mana with Māori. He's able to stand between warring chiefs who are about to go to war with each other and say, hang on a minute, your trading involvement is doing you really well here. Let's not, let's, let's not get off track. And, and some of those who understood the gospel respected him. And so he was a peacemaker as well. So there's peacemaking coming in very early in the case. And of course, Māori are very entrepreneurial traders, very interested in what's going on in the rest of the world. And they want to understand from the missionaries the best way forward because they, they've already gone to other parts of the world and discovered that this world is changing rapidly. And the missionaries are a kind of intermediary between all the, I suppose, the, um, the, the, the chaotic behaviours of the sealers and the whalers and the traders who are coming in there with their barrels of rum and running off with Māori wahini and causing all sorts of problems. So we've got the missionaries as the peacemakers, as a steadying influence, and now starting to bring the treasure of the Māori language forward. And then you get Colenso, who, who who's, comes in as a missionary uh, wants to be a missionary, but he's, he's apprenticed as a printer, now beginning to print for the first time. Imprints the first um, copies of Ephesians and Philippians and a few other. Just an incredible um, uh, achievement, really. And of course, Kalenzo's got a very strong local um, influence. But I don't think Māori would have signed the treaty if they didn't trust the missionaries. And actually, nobody moved until... Um, Honi Heke was prepared to stand up and say, well, I'll sign it. But then the question was asked of, of Hobson by Colenso, do Māori really understand what they're about to sign? And, and the governor then turns around and says, well, it's none of my business if they don't, which was a little bit arrogant, I thought. So Honi Heke turns around and says, well, we'll trust the missionaries to, uh, to teach us. So that's why I say that the Māori wouldn't have signed unless they trusted the missionaries. And... And, and because most of the literacy at that point was an understanding from the Bible. And Henry Williams and his son um, Samuel, Samuel grew up with Tureo as his first language, translated both, both the document of independence and the treaty 
in a very short space of time using largely scriptural language that Māori would have understood at the time. So those things are, are intimately entwined. That was writer Keith Newman in conversation at the Common Room in Hastings. It's part of an ongoing series of lectures on the common good, held monthly on Thursday evenings at 7pm at the Common Room. Hei kōnei from me, Pirapifanga, for this edition of Te Ngātahi o Te Tau, Te Putanga o Te Hinu. This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kanapas, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.